0: I was born 2,437 years ago. In that time, I've had three wives. The last was Shakiko, a Japanese princess. Her father, Masamuni, a genius, made this for me. In 593 BC. It is the only one of its kind. Like his daughter. When Shakiko died, I was shattered. I would save you that pain. Please, let Heather go.
1: Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we look at another part of the Highlander universe and talk about it in detail. Welcome to part four of our insanely exhaustive series on the Highlander motion picture. Uh, This is one of your rewatchers, Keith. Uh, I'm another one of your rewatchers, Kyle.
2: This is Eamon, and Keith, I think we should call it Comprehensive.
1: Yes, not exhaustive, comprehensive. How about punishingly intricate? <laughs> <Yeah. Yes. laughs> uh, this is our this is the beginning of our second recording session about the Highlander movie. We did not think we would be doing a second recording session about the movie. Uh, we actually were all
3: surprised, I think, of how
1: much stuff we wanted to talk
3: about, and there was there's a surprising lot to talk about in Highlander. I, was, I, th- I was... think there's more going on in this movie than I had given it credit for before seeing it again through a more critical lens, totally. So
1: if you haven't – if you've just found our podcast and you haven't listened to the other parts of it, uh, go back and listen to parts one, two, and three. You can find them on SoundCloud. Uh, you can also find them on iTunes, and uh, you can always subscribe right on iTunes. They're also on Stitcher or any major podcasting app. Uh, so
3: if you're interested, check out the, uh, the previous episodes. Plus, if you like the show, which is many people's window into the series, we've already done uh, an episode for each individual episode of the first season of the Highlander TV show. So if you'd like to take that ride with us, you can go all the way back to the beginning, where you can see The Gathering, which has Christopher Lambert in it. Totally. So let's hop back in. Well, now we're back. In the 20th century. Back at the
1: police station, there are a couple crazy lines. Brendan walks into Frank Moron's office, Mm -hmm. uh, Alan North, and we get treated to this bit of dialogue. A hell
0: of a lot I can do about it, pal. You see what I'm up against? His Vietnamese neighbor ate his dog. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Jeez Louise.
1: (laughs) You see what I'm up against?
2: Do you see what we're up against with this movie?
3: Uh, so, <sighs> so she's got this scheme. She's taking him out to lunch so that she can look at the file on the Madison Square Garden beheading, right? Which
1: is on which I, I was watching the scene a couple times. Like it's on his desk already. Like she comes in and peers at it. And yeah. I think that's when she kind of gets the idea. Like, oh, let me get him out of here. Here's the file. Uh, so she comes up with this like lunch scheme.
3: She then discovers by looking at this. And, like, he stops her for some reason. Like, she's working on this case. Like, she's a CSI assigned to this case. But for some reason, he won't let her... Yeah, he closes the the
1: file and he's like, this is confidential. It's like, what?
3: It's hmm. like, why? Why from her? She's actively engaged in this case. Hmm? Yeah. But in any case, she opens it and discovers that the person that she's seen in this bar is Russell Nash, the suspect in this beheading.
1: Right. So, after this, we cut to Connor's, like, apartment-slash- antique store
3: and he's sharpening his katana
1: right and he Mm -hmm. has next to him a book called a metallurgical history of ancient sword making which is an insane title of a book well it's Uh,
3: i mean you write that so it flies off the shelf right yeah (laughs) um
1: and he flips the book over
3: and it's written by brenda hey Uh, brenda who grew up in scranton (laughs) and scranton pennsylvania where the office was supposedly supposed to take place yeah yeah and her father was in the air force apparently yeah according to the book jacket the
1: book jacket why would indeed. you include oh, wow. that
3: it's okay like, hey, this is the offer <laughs> of this book let me tell you about her dad <laughs> <laughs> i and guess the I, picture doesn't look like her it looks like another person it
1: clearly yeah i don't know if it's her or not or it's clearly a picture that was taken like many many moons ago like, i
3: don't know like It's different like,
1: haircut different like it, all sorts of stuff
3: like it didn't jump she didn't jump off the picture didn't like oh yeah it's the same person like, right it could be but how many Uh, authors are
2: also working for the new york city police department
3: i have a lot of problems with
1: her yeah i don't know why she works for the police department she has a such a specific knowledge base yeah it is insane that she is a like in the forensics lab i think yeah i don't know uh so then there's another flashback so we go over connor's shoulder and there's like a dirty fish tank and yep. uh, yeah, <laughs> he needs to change the water. In yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Like it's very... No filter. No filter. Poor water. fish. <laughs>
3: Hashtag no filter. Uh, uh, so
1: he... Um,
3: he's in a boat.
1: He, yeah. We, we flashback. And it's a cool dissolve, I think, like yeah. through the water. This is one of the best ones. This is another... This is one of the best like, ones. This is another one yeah. that's like really great. So we get treated to a, a, an, another musical tidbit
3: here yeah from sean connery yeah b-a-l-a-n-z <laughs> that's the <laughs> balance song <laughs> Yeah, the balance song. favorite balance, balance song. song
2: i i that this was very funny i thought that I was really funny yeah
3: love this little tidbit yeah but yeah. it's
2: so weird yeah i like it up to a certain point <laughs> yeah there's a lot of <laughs> So, uh, Connor is, like, balancing, what, two jugs of water or something? Yeah. Or, like, weights? I don't know what they are.
1: He's doing some, like, balance exercise on yeah. this boat. This feels very, like, Karate Kid-esque, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Being on yeah. the tip of a boat or, like, canoe or whatever. Uh, yep. I actually like this scene a lot. Uh, and they, they... The series, I think, does this better, but... This this scene kind of shows Connor as being a little more immature. Yeah, like he's brash. He's like he doesn't understand what he's doing. Like, yeah. he's like I don't know what the point of this is. Like,
3: yeah, he's kind of petulant. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and again, like Duncan in the series, I think they 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 just have more room to explore that more. Like, oh, what was Duncan? What Duncan used to be like, and in this case, he's a little different. So,
3: so I had some questions on this. Oh, I enjoy the explanation of what a haggis is. Yeah, and that whole thing is pretty funny. Yeah. That's revolting. Revolting. <laughs> 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 uh
1: but this and this what, is where he calls him a spanish peacock
3: he says yeah. you spanish peacock and he says i am not spanish i told you i'm egyptian so let's just address that just real
1: quick uh because this is Sean now, Connery.
3: now there are layers a to this scotsman
1: playing a spaniard and or an egyptian an egyptian either way yeah. there's like some he should just not be playing This is whatever. so crazy, yeah. the levels of, like, his ethnicity yeah. or whatever. I mean, I mean, it, it or nationality, I should say.
2: Juxtaposed against fucking
3: Christoph <laughs> Lambert playing a Scotsman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. It's funny that the Scotsman is not the Scotsman. Right. Yeah. Okay, you're correcting this guy kind of angrily. Like, hey, I told you I'm Egyptian. But he's got the most Spanish-sounding name ever. yep. yep. <laughs> like, why does he use that name? Nothing about his name sounds Spanish. And he's in service of the king of Spain. What is going on here?
1: Like again, is this like the peacock sort of thing? Like he's got this like grandiose name, which would also been interesting if it was like a hyphenated name. It's yeah. like, and if it was like a mixture of like an oddly Egyptian name and a Spanish name and a like Iranian, like you know, they could have gone through. And it's like he just kind of named, like he just kept naming himself.
3: Yeah, but then it's like. He goes, he clearly goes by Ramirez. Mm -hmm. Kurgan knows him as Ramirez. This is not his Russell Nash equivalent. Like, he goes by Ramirez, which sounds not Egyptian (laughs) at all. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why he couldn't have just been Spanish. Like, he could have just been Spanish and that would have been fine. Or if they wanted to make him Egyptian, like, why isn't his name or character or anything about him remotely Egyptian. <laughs> also like the idea that he's supposed to be very ancient, him being Egyptian is cool and makes a lot of sense. Right. Like yeah. when we think, I think of, that's like, why they one of our oldest civilizations. Yeah.
1: I don't think that he was originally supposed to be Egyptian. He wasn't. Yeah. No. And so they yeah. changed it. And I think it was really just to make him older. Like yeah. it's like, let's make him as old as we can to be like the, the wise old mentor, like the Obi-Wan or Yoda, I guess. this movie yeah yep so he starts like connor is worried because he can't swim (laughs) yeah so i guess sean connery ramirez gets like irritated like well fucking take a bath but yeah (laughs) like and he just tips him over tips him over and he's like i can't swim he's like don't worry you can't die you're immortal and he really means that like let's unpack what happens now
2: yeah (laughs) so Mech
1: sinks to the bottom of this lake. This is really goofy. Yeah, it is.
3: I felt like I was watching Sonic the Hedgehog when yeah. this happened. The bubbles coming up. Yeah. From the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah, is exactly what it was. And the way Connor is kind of like goofing with it, he's like, "Whoa." I can breathe. Yeah, I can Ooh. breathe. No you can't. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: so this is completely different from the series in the sense that like you would perhaps actually dr- like you would die and then like be reborn. Like there's this element of constant rebirth in the yeah. series of immortals like if you get shot you die and then um, you come back and we've we've debated on this podcast right. about like well i don't know what defines how long it takes to you to come back like or yeah how far how long it takes to heal or whatever but like this is so, like this is just like you cannot die at all and they they yeah. i think actually they're kind of consistent at least within the movie because this comes up later well people get the
3: crap kicked out of them yeah. this, and, and they yeah. bounce back like instantly yeah. yep
1: which i think yep. adds an interesting element of like they're, they're like th- These immortals in this movie Are more powerful Than the TV show Like they're, they're Yeah you get vulnerable. shot You
3: get right you back up You get right up. back up Like yeah. you're
1: kind of More superhuman And so he has like gills Like he is Kevin Costner In Waterworld The Mariner
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like
1: he can just breathe under And speak underwater Which is crazy And
2: walk around
1: <laughs> uh, uh, so this And w- he like plays around Yeah like he's with his sword yeah, yeah He's <laughs> like ah. <laughs> What the
2: hell man uh, And then when he re-emerges From the water It's like a cartoon drama Like he has seaweed on his body and it's just
1: like, (laughs) Oh God. Uh, So this scene was apparently filmed in London in like a, on a sound studio, like in a tank. Uh, So they had weights strapped to Kristoff so he could be underwater and not float away as one does.
3: (laughs) (laughs) As a living person underwater will do. do, Yeah.
1: A little float. So apparently when he first went under, he had a mental like brain freeze and, like, didn't know what to do, and, like, almost drowned.
3: Jesus. Like, when they... That seems like a sane human response. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, that seems really stressful. <clears throat> yep. Uh,
1: but apparently the way this, like, this whole scene kind of played out was Russell McKay, he was above the tank, and there was a diver down there, like, with scuba equipment that was, like, giving Kristoff air through, like, a tube. So, like, they would give him air, he'd pull back, so they could do some lines and give him some more air. And so they were constantly constantly swimming back and forth, and apparently, like, I guess Russell was writing on paper or cards or whatever giving notes to the scuba diver and then the scuba diver was swimming to Kristoff to be like oh these are some performance notes and then like they would do the scene so I I just love like the, that sounds horrifying this, to like, shoot this, yeah, insane, this is bonkers like, this insane production of like you go underwater I'll write you like secret notes that I'll pass to the scuba diver do you like you. me check
3: yes or no yeah. like, and then <laughs> don't also, add a third box that says maybe breathing will be tenuous like it's
1: like well there are
2: also other ways to film this fucking sequence than literally drowning your lead actor.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I guess hats off to Christopher and Bear for making it through this. And sure. I, also, I
1: think this was like, not necessarily planned the way it was because on the commentary, Russell McKay mentions, like they did this like on a weekend. They were like, yeah, I picked Christopher up and like, we went to this thing and it's like, is this like organized at all? Yeah. Like you guys to show up at a thing. It's like, Oh, we'll do the tank thing. Like this didn't sound as organized as maybe the rest of the shoe was. It's like, hmm. let's do some pickup shots with this thing. Some, <laughs> being underwater. Yeah, <laughs> <shots. Yeah>. Let's <laughs> do some,
3: some aquatic sh- yeah. pickup shots. <laughs> (laughs)
1: So Connor comes out of the water like Swamp Thing uh, and attempts to murder (laughs) Ramirez.
3: Yep, I don't think it's serious, but like I was wondering that.
1: I was like, oh, is he really? Well, now he's buying
3: into. He's just. It's just been proven to him that he's truly immortal. Yeah, like I don't think he bought it until this moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's the Yeah. yeah.
1: And then there's a a maybe slight bit of magic slash trickery, and like Ramirez almost disappears. Like I think you're yeah, he
3: goes to to
2: swipe and then he's gone. He's gone. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't know if you're just supposed to assume that like, oh, Ramirez is just that quick and Mm -hmm. Connor is that clumsy, or is there like like,
3: I think it's the first. Yeah. And then this next conversation sounds like it happens between two people on separate planets (laughs) trying to talk to each other with like a (laughs) ten minute time delay. (laughs) It's so weird. I play the clip. Go for it.
0: You cannot die, McLeod.
1: Accepted it. <laughs>
0: that laugh. I
3: hate you. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile... I hate you. Right after this, fish fall out of his kilt, and then they look down at the fish, then they look up at each other, and he goes, Well, that is a great place to start. <laughs> it's like,
1: what? Why? Definitely.
3: Like, what is happening here?
1: Uh, I also wanted to mention something. So after Ramirez knocks Connor in the water, we were treated to a wide shot of Ramirez, I guess, rowing back to shore and singing another song. But I just wanted to call attention to the song he's singing, which is, We ask you, Heavenly Father. And I was like, oh, he is singing, like, a prayer. It seems very intentional to introduce, like, religious stuff. Like, why is he singing that song? He just sang... He could have done... B-A-L-
0: yeah,
2: he could have
1: given us the reprise of the balance song
2: or do 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 do, do, do. <laughs>
1: uh there's any number of things he could have kind of sung but it's like oh like let's have him sing uh, a prayer i i kind of was wondering it's like oh like we we ask you heavenly father like what is he asking like again is connor the christ figure of this movie ramirez being like his guide is having trouble training christ to be the messiah in this instance like aren't you christ like can't you balance don't you know the task ahead of you and so he leaves the
3: scene with a prayer to god huh. interesting thank you also just a pause i am breaking this shit down <laughs> <laughs> just to pause on the because uh, we're ragged on this a little bit because like other cartoonishes, these shots are gorgeous yeah. especially that pullback shot where this prayer is going on oh yeah they're like in this, this beautiful, beautiful lock yeah. like i this made me want to go to scotland absolutely yeah. like, I said, like, four times, like, oh, we should go there. Like, yeah. We should go to Scotland. I want to go to castles and drink beer and see all these places. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful.
1: And also, I, I think we, we should talk about, like, their their kind of camaraderie and... Sure. Like the, the chemistry between lambert and ramirez i feel is like true like, yeah it is it comes across yeah. in the film like i think connor's best performances are or lambert's best performances are with mm-hmm. sean connor like i think he brings something out of him yeah uh, they and then they also when that. he talks
3: the most <laughs> it is yeah. also true yeah. when, he, when he does yeah. talk
1: the most uh and is also not being like sullen and like yeah. grumpy uh so it's nice to see like the lighter side of
3: Connor. Mr. Grumpy
2: Gills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it does,
1: Gills. it, it uh, does
2: seem genuine. It reminds me of like Adrian Paul and Werner Stocker, where they kind of just seem to elicit more honest
3: performances from these actors.
1: Totally. Yeah, I guess um Christoph and Sean Connery became like fast friends on this set. Yeah. Um, so
3: much so that Christopher Lambert demanded that Ramirez, who spoiler alert, dies in this movie <laughs> had to be in the Highlander two, not in a flashback. Just so they could oh, be together, all around some more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
1: but also, like it's it is kind of interesting. Like I guess uh, Sean Connery does take on a little bit of like real world teacher to Christopher Lambert. This is one of Christoph Lambert's first productions, like big ones, like. right? And it's like Sean Connery actually acted as like a mentor to him as an actor, as a like in addition to being like his real mentor in the film itself mm. which I thought was interesting
2: yeah it is <laughs> Hey, Rewatchers! This is Amon. Uh, hey, if you hey, like, we're the Rewatchers. Well, hey, we're all the Rewatchers. We're all here, and Me we t- all want you to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, that way, you don't have to download it every day. You can just get an update there, and it's uh, it's really easy. How easy is it? It's as easy as subscribing to our podcast, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and no harder or easier than that specific <laughs> reference. Nope. And then why don't you give
2: us a review, too? How about five stars? That sounds good. That That sounds sounds easy, too. Just a
3: suggestion. Just push the five instead of the one. That's right.
2: (laughs) In fact, don't push the
3: one. Don't do it. We would really prefer you not (laughs) push the one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, right now, we are uh, back at Connor's residence. Um, We're in kind of like a little shed or something it's like a little it's his sh- side shed next to his castle right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i guess this is for like the the horses and his equipment and stuff and well, his, his smithy
2: his castle seems like he has like his dining room in there or something yeah there,
1: there's yeah. like it's really only one floor it's, except it's like eight stories tall Like right. there's only <laughs> one room
3: yeah um, the castle's weird it's a dining room table and a staircase <laughs> right that
1: leads to nothing like there's no room upstairs it looks like no, it just goes up to like look out the window.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very puzzling what this house is. That's okay. Is this like somehow a metaphor for something? <laughs> he literally lives in like a stairway to nowhere in like mm. a crumbling castle ruin that is destroyed as part of his battle, the battle with the Kurgan. I don't know. Mm. It's a such a puzzling structure that maybe there's something afoot. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. So in this scene, uh, Ramirez is
1: explaining what connor's immortality is and what the gathering is and we have a clip of this so yeah you want to listen to this and then we'll talk about it let's do it all right
3: we're brothers
0: you must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power harness until the time of the gathering what gathering when only a few of us are left We will feel an irresistible pull towards a faraway land to fight for the prize.
3: A faraway land. I really like that the gatherings in New York. This
1: takes place in like the ancient past, as it were, and that the the faraway special place is just New York City.
3: Is the new well it's like the new new world, world.
1: right?
2: How long has Connor been in New York, do you think? Is this part of the gathering that he just happens to find himself there?
3: He's well established.
2: Is he just lucky? He's lucky that he picked New York? He didn't have to travel?
3: I guess
1: so. (laughs) I got the impression that he could have been there since the American Revolution, even.
3: Well, the the house keeps on changing hands, so he must have been there Mm. since the first changing of hands if he's been using the same signature. We're getting a little ahead of the computer magic that (laughs) susses that all out.
1: (laughs) So so there's one thing in the scene I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I brought up before uh, that this movie might have some homosexual undertones. And there's a couple things Ramirez says here that I think you could interpret that way. He says, we were born different and men will fear us because we're different. And you have to hide yourself, like be closeted in some way. Hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, that's that could be, that could be read a little differently. Uh, so I thought that was neat. So in the next scene, we are treated to a training montage. Yeah. Which I'm a big proponent of. Uh, a little behind the scenes stuff. This training montage was originally, I want to say like 12 minutes long. What? (laughs) Wow! And they cut it down to three, which is—that's amazing. Still like not short. Uh, No, When it's 12 minutes. Is
3: it still a montage? Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's just
2: they're actually showing (laughs) all the training. (laughs) It's not intercut at all. Is that? Does that exist somewhere?
3: I've never seen it, Now mm. We need a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> the crazy rock precipice that they fight on is insane. How yeah. How would they get up there? Uh, I don't know how do they got up there. They probably there? had to be, like, a helicopter. helicopter. With, with a helicopter. <laughs> like,
2: it's awesome that they're on top of that rock. I feel like they both kind of look nervous up there. <laughs> like, whoever the stunt people are that are doing that. Yeah. But this is an awesome, I think, sequence. And the music that is played during this sequence is amazing. Totally, I, yeah on youtube i like found the song and just have been listening to it all
1: week <laughs> yeah the score to this this movie is really like it's a lot of sweeping yeah sweeping music it's beautiful there's a couple of interesting things that are said here by ramirez to connor that are just like puzzling and don't really come back i guess like they're not paid off later um so he says to connor that you should never lose your temper and i was like oh like that's an interesting like double meaning because when you lose your temper you could refer to that as losing your head like don't lose your cool don't lose your head about something right uh and it's like oh well that's a neat thing because that that line is brought up a lot yeah but But it doesn't come back like it it would be something if like connor had an anger problem or if more importantly maybe the kurgan does and it's like the kurgan maybe fights too aggressively or something Hmm. Uh, because ramirez also brings up he's like don't overextend your thrust your balance and it's like again really like where's the let like it's like i wish that was a lesson learned and that came back later like again if the kurgan fights too emotionally and isn't cool because they also set up this thing like connor seems to meditate a little like there's this connection
3: with nature and I, i do think this pays off to an extent right because we've discussed like the thing that is the most badass about connor because he's not doesn't seem that physically threatening or like he's the master swordsman necessarily is that he always seems completely cool, which is in contrast to the Kurgan. And the Kurgan makes a bunch of kind of crazy, unforced errors in various fights that seem to be his undoing at the end. So I think that, you know, there's at least a contrast. It's not like a clear payoff. It's not
1: clear. I I just wish I think it was clear, like, if if we saw him, like, make an error at the end that was specifically, like, getting too angry or getting too frustrated, especially if it was in, like, the dichotomy of, like, Maybe Connor just, like, breathing and doing, like, a kata move at the end or something and then defeating Mm -hmm. the Kurgan. I think then you'd really see the difference in the two. Like, one of those Karate Kid sort of moments. Sure. Yeah, like, where he, like, relaxes and he...
3: Gives him the crane kick. Yeah. This sequence,
2: I couldn't help but think that uh, Christopher Nolan watched this montage and stole it for Batman Begins. <laughs> I agree. Because they're so similar. Like, even how the score intertwines with the footage they're playing, and, like, the sword fighting on the, like, amazing locations, like...
1: Yeah, and like, Ramirez cuts the uh, the tree in half, and it, like...
2: Falls on him. Falls on yeah. him, and
1: I, that felt very, like, when they're fighting on the like the on ice, the ice. On the yeah. ice. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, this is the, the short footing like thing or whatever. And
2: basically lifted. I don't know. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's an homage. I shouldn't say it's a swipe, but... But this... Speak- to the our conversation about uh, the way the sword digs into the pillar, like this sets up the rules even more clearly about what's possible in this. Because because right. Sean Connery literally cuts like a foot diameter tree stump <laughs> yeah. in half with one swipe of a sword, like yep. it's nothing. And yep. the
1: sword also falls off that
3: cliff, yeah. like a
1: hundred feet, like uh, and it's fine.
3: Well, and like, now Ramirez has to climb
2: his ass <laughs> down and, like, find the sword. That, like, no was, metal detector. Yeah, which yeah. was thrown off a mountain. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess we have to find it now. <laughs> yeah. they're, like,
1: climbing down. Yeah, stop bragging, Connor. Yeah. This is going to be a pain in the butt. Uh, so we also get uh, some more info here about Holy Ground. So right. Ramirez mentions that no one will fight on Holy Ground. It's tradition. Right. So we've always had this question in the series, but... They reinforce that here that it is not a rule, it's a tradition. Yeah,
3: none of us will violate that law. Yeah. The Kurgan adheres to it. Yeah, he does. Despite being an absolute monster who violates every other norm. (laughs) For some reason, he takes this seriously. I think the
2: Kurgan does it, like, for fun. He's like, hey, I can, you know, poke fun at Connor in this church and he won't do anything. He's like... Doing it as a joke or something?
1: Mm. I don't know.
3: See, especially because they've set up that this is so much more magical than the show seems to indicate. Yeah. I just don't know why they just can't. Well, Connor, we're
2: getting ahead of ourselves, but Connor wants to fight him in the church. Yeah. And the curtain's like, oh, no, bro, not in the <laughs>
1: church.
3: Yeah. He's like, hey.
2: Yeah. And then Connor's like, we'll meet outside. And I don't know what happens about that. Yeah. But, but they don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so I don't quite understand why that is the the tact on the whole thing. There's also this amazing like running on the beach scene. Here. Oh, it's like Rocky 3. It's like Rocky 3 yeah. uh, and just playing into kind of the homoerotic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> feel of this whole thing like yeah. the running on the beach not on like Rocky 3 is a <laughs> is a very homoerotic sequence. Yeah. Like it doesn't quite culminate in them like frolicking in the water like Rocky 3 does, <laughs> right? But it's well, no, actually, it does. Yeah. They jump off the cliff, and Sean Connery utters the puzzling line, This is the quickening! <laughs> Whee! <laughs> like, diving off a cliff is the quickening? What is the quickening? Well, so the, He's, like, communing with
2: nature. Like, there's a stag off to the side, and at first, Sean Connery's like, Oh, concentrate and feel the, you know, stag heartbeat or whatever. Right. And then he feels it, I guess, and they start running.
1: Yeah, like, does it give him... I couldn't tell. Does it, like, make him run faster or something? I I don't know. I thought so. Like, that he has this now connection. Like, he's got, like, a spearn animal, essentially. He's like
2: Animal Man from the DC (laughs) Comics. (laughs)
1: Animal Man! Well, apparently this scene was really Those hard to great. film, yeah. because uh, I guess this was shot during, I don't know if it was the spring or the winter, but I guess all the uh, the stags had lost their horns. Oh. Uh, so they had to glue horns onto a <laughs> stag, which, of course, the stag did not want at all, so it was right. constantly trying to get them off. And so Ugh. this is a combination of them filming this, like, put-together animal uh, and some National Geographic footage. Wow. Uh, and then the stag just ran off, and they found it, like, the next day, like... I don't know, like, 20 or 30 miles away without the horns anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> Franken- I thought that was pretty Stag. funny. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any to bring up this other kind of interesting thread that's in this movie, and I don't know if it doesn't pay off, but it's, like, it's. It, I wish it was more prominent. So there's this this theme that there can be only one. And I was wondering what that means. Like, before I mentioned, like, oh, I don't know if this is kind of a biblical thing about deities, like, there can only be one God. That's maybe one way to look at it. But... And again, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with what we find out the prize to be, but perhaps it's kind of like a little switcheroo. Like, we don't know really what the prize is, but there's this idea of oneness, and it's like being one with nature is something that Connor's all about. And so maybe that line is kind of recontextualized in that that sense. And no, it's, it's like there can be only one. Like, that, that's like a, a, some sort of universal like force, or like the force or whatever, because Connor feels the, the beat of the thing. Like, he seems to have like a sixth sense about stuff.
3: Right. Yeah. I think that what you're saying is accurate. I think that is what the idea is. This theme doesn't quite come... This power doesn't quite come back... Well, I'm no. super curious about, like,
1: how, how this script was initially written. Like, I'd love to talk to Gregory Wine, and hopefully we will, because I want to ask him about some of these things. Like, were these themes present at some point? Like, was it conscious? And then right. just through, like, the drafts and stuff, like, things just kind of get, like, obfuscated uh, as you keep rewriting. But it seems like it, there there could be something there to that. Like, uh, if you rewrote this, you could make that, like, a bigger theme. Again, like, Ramirez talking to Connor about not getting angry. And, like, there, there seems to be this, like, odd zen quality to this thing, this oneness.
3: Yeah. Hmm. It is interesting. One other thing about this montage, obviously the point here, because he beats him in this race on the beach, then he knocks his sword away on the mountain. They show him, like, getting a one-up on Ramirez, like, three times in a row, for some reason. Right. So, like, he beats him in, like, the foot race with his stag powers, then he disarms him on the cliff, which was wildly inconvenient. Then they show yet another sword fight, where Mac beats him again, as though it's, like, news- it's a little odd. It's yeah, I don't know like, why yeah. they come
1: back to that third Because like, it seems like after the cliff, like, that's the end of the montage. Like the music like, hey, kind of finishes and it's okay. Yeah. Like, and then it kind of, like kind of I don't know, has this other weird scene tacked on.
2: Yeah. Um
1: which has like an oddly threatening element to it because Connor gets Ramirez and it's right. like there's a small moment you think like he could kill him. Well, I don't know if we think as the audience, but Ramirez seems to think like, uh oh.
3: Yeah, well I mean, yeah, Sean Connery's definitely in that mode. And the whole thing has been about You know, there can be only one, we fight, we fight to the last. Right. Do you kill this guy? How seriously are you going to take winning this thing? Right. Now we're in some kind of market where Heather is buying a chicken? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah this is i think this is a pretty
1: nice looking scene like the yeah. stuff in connor's village initially like good sets great costumes like also a lot of extras uh yeah all kind of killing it so there's like a, like a wrestling match yeah there's a boxing,
2: boxing match yeah. or something like bare knuckle boxing or something
3: two old guys just yeah. beating the crap out of each other <laughs> those guys did not look young no um uh, so we get more kind of
1: info about immortality from ramirez so ramirez tells connor that he can't have children of course connor's like well heather won't be happy about that i can tell right. you that for nothing.
2: Uh. And then Heather's like interacting with some local uh I don't know, orphans or
1: <laughs> <laughs> street urchins. <laughs> well, I think so uh there's another interesting I think you could read some meaning into this not having children thing. I think it's interesting the fact that by virtue of being immortal, they can't have children but in, in some ways i think having children is a way to become immortal like like you live on through your children like your bloodline right. continues so so anyway i think it's really interesting that they can't have children because in a, in a way that's the way us normal people can live on with kids then the other thing i was thinking uh if we want to read this as some gay subtext is again 1985 when this was filmed is a very different kind of culture, especially gay culture in America. And if you think of a man and a woman, they can have a child, but two men in a in a relationship actually can't have a child. Uh, now it's different. Obviously, you can adopt, and there's surrogate parents and all this other. The, you know, the, the the world of that is very different now. Right. But in this context, it's like maybe he's kind of saying he's like, well, because of your like your orientation, you can't have children. Well, that's another. Mm. That's an
2: interesting thing because in uh, I think Wyden's original version. Connor has sired many children over the course of his long life. And for whatever reason, right. that was changed. And I'm not sure whose decision that was.
3: Yeah. But and I do I, think it's cool because it also cements the isolation that they feel as immortals. Cause it does create a definitive separation between them and mortals. It means that they can never truly put down the roots they want to put down or really have a kind of normal "Quote family life."
2: And Sean Connery, um, he's basically telling, or Ramirez is telling Connor to, you know, leave Heather.
1: This is another thing I thought you could read into. <laughs> yeah. oh. It's like, oh, like you shouldn't be with your beard. You should come with me.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's and interesting. It, but, uh, <laughs> but Connor's not down for that, and he gives a giant hug gesture to Heather <laughs> with the chicken, and she's like, "He's so full of life." Talking about the chicken, <laughs> it it's like, let's eat him for dinner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He grabs her butt hard too in this scene, too. Mm. Gets all up in it. Connor's a butt man.
2: man. (laughs) And then uh, uh, Ramirez tells Connor about his sword a little bit. Yeah. And about one of his wives, Shikiku.
3: Which, this whole thing is very historically problematic, and I don't understand much of it. Or why any of it's going on.
2: Yeah. I mean, how did Ramirez get this sword? Is that
3: one of the inaccuracies? Yeah, in 593 BCE, he gets this sword in Japan? So he's born in (laughs) Egypt, but then he somehow, in 593, makes his way to Japan? Like, how does he pull this off? Like, he basically goes halfway around the world in an era where... There's not that kind of intercommunication or travel routes or safety. <laughs> it's like, how does he get there? How does he, like, get himself established? Well, I guess he's he's immortal, so he's got all the time in the world. I, I guess so. He <laughs> must be very old at this point then, also. he's Right. He's got to be over 2,000 years old when we meet him. He says, in this scene, I think he says, I was born 2,437 years ago. Okay, so he's pretty young when he does this, then. Right. As, like, someone who theoretically could still be in his mortal life, he manages to make it to a place that would be literally mythical by comparison. (laughs) (laughs) And then discovers an anachronistic sword, somehow. So he gets a sword,
1: which is... I I don't know, the the sword, I guess because it's anachronistic, like, it's got this special quality to it, like a lightsaber or...
3: Literally, uh, it's a 2,000-year-old sword. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. But, or, or, like, Lord of the Rings, like, this is, like, the hero's special weapon. Oh, you know like, what
2: Sting, I mean? the the glowy orc sword?
3: From The Hobbit.
1: Oh, right, yeah. right. But, yeah, a lot of this kind of mythological stories have these kind of special, like, the sword in the stone sort of weapon mm-hmm. uh, that allows the hero to complete his journey.
3: I just don't understand why yeah. this was a necessary ingredient of this whole thing.
1: Eh, I don't mind it. I think it's
3: kind of fun. Yeah, if you don't think about it, it's fine. Yeah, Yeah, but it's actually a big part of the story. Yeah. The sword is what blows up Connor's spot because the metallurgist character, Right, <laughs> it's like their hint that something is afoot. Something's wrong, yeah. But it has nothing to do... Really, with immortals. No, it's just an odd sword. It's just an odd sword. Like, it's not actually... We never established that Shikikus, which was uh, Ramirez's last wife, that, like, her father is, like, immortal or magical in some way. He's just this dude who invents steel, (laughs) basically. Well, and
2: they, they chose the name for his father, I think her father. We talked about this on another episode, Masamune, who's, like... In Japan, I think he actually existed, but he's kind of reached mythical status. Right. And he's like a swordsmith or sword maker who made
3: like the most famous swords. Right. But not in like 600 BC. Yeah, that, I, that I'm sure is probably <laughs> I'm sure he not was, the like, case. Middle Ages, <laughs> Japan. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure these weapons were being used like then. When this movie, when this scene is being shot in like fifteen hundreds, that's when people were using these things, <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. right two thousand years before that.
1: So Ramirez warns Connor about falling in love because he's trying to protect him because the pain of loss is too much to bear. Right. So you gotta, you gotta book it, Connor. Stitch to the ladies.
2: Connor is not about that. Right. So then they start talking about. The Kurgan
1: a little bit. Yeah, they're back at the castle, hanging up on the the fourth, hanging out on the fourth story of the castle. Yeah.
3: Can we just pause for a second and point out? I mean, we're about to get into get into this pretty interesting action beat, but we're like forty five minutes into the movie. Yeah. We have only just learned about the gathering. We have only just learned about that. Losing your head is what causes you to die. Right. Like, all these rules that we take for granted, if you are familiar with the Highlander universe, come very late in the context of this movie. Yeah. Right. Moving yeah, they on.
1: they dole it out pretty slow.
3: Yeah. Well, I guess now we, the viewers, can be safe in
2: knowing that Connor isn't just the crazy, like, ex-murderer decapitator right. guy. <laughs> yeah.
3: Which, up to, up till now, is... A viable theory. Right. <laughs> so she's just based on that movie poster. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: crazy. Ramirez gives Connor some info on the Kurgan. He says he's from the steppes of Russia. Right. Uh, from the Kurgan clan, I guess. And they would throw children, children into d- dog pits? Yeah. For meat? Okay.
3: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess the, their whole clan of people were pretty awful. So the, it's also interesting that he's the Kurgan, just like he's the Highlander. Right. Right. So... Again, these titles, we've talked about this a bit in the context of the show, that people, as they're traveling through time, maybe develop reputations or titles that just kind of follow them. I think that's set up here, and it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It also makes a little bit more sense about, like, the immortal Rolodex that all these people <laughs> seem to have. But. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, and also Ramirez describes the Kurgan as the strongest of all the immortals. Right? Yeah,
3: and the perfect warrior, he Yeah.
2: So that's that's interesting because
3: mm. he already knows this somehow, right?
2: Yeah. So they've they've at least faced each other before
3: now. And Connor asks, "How
1: how can you defeat such a guy?" And Ramirez says, <laughs> "With heart, faith, and steel," which reminded <laughs> me a lot of uh, what is it? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't, can't lose. lose. <laughs> From Friday Night Lights. Uh, but he, Ramirez does mention faith, uh, which I thought was. Another interesting yeah. thing. Again, these religious elements are sprinkled throughout this mm-hmm. uh, pretty liberally. Also, this is another one of those things that doesn't come back. Because, I, I again, like this don't lose your head sort of element, mm-hmm. like stay calm. It's like, well, how do you beat the Kurgan? With heart, faith, and steel. And it's like, okay, so then flash forward to the end of the movie. How does Connor beat him? Like, do we see that analogy? Like with heart, faith, and steel? Like, you know what I mean? Like, again, I don't feel like that little mantra is present at the end like in some way like we don't again i don't know we don't see any sort of manifestation of those those things yeah Uh, like connor doesn't talk about yeah you know
2: not uh, really yeah no
1: because i never feel like connor has heart like again he seems like a guy that's just scraping by like (laughs) he's barely survived through the years like a reluctant warrior sort of guy Mm -hmm. see i'm not sure exactly how this fits in it's another one of those things that probably could have been written a little differently
2: sure so then um Ramirez and Heather are having like some one-on-one time. I don't know what Connor's doing.
1: I forget if they say any do they ever say what they he's just don't. off.
3: He's just not there.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's Maybe. a cool shot and, and yeah. like uh to intro this scene like the camera comes in like through the window and then comes all the way down the castle yeah. like uh this is like a cool old like I don't know it's in like Orson Welles Citizen Kane sort of technique like where they'll put a camera through the set but the set comes apart that way the whole camera can fit through so it like it sneaks its way through the window but then the the set blows apart behind it, and then it can move around freely in the room, which is pretty cool. That's a nice little technique.
2: Yeah, so. and it, it like there's a really cool matte painting. We were talking about this before of the their castle and like a storm's a brewing. Uh, so there's some weird, like, thunder effects on the matte painting. I don't know how they did it, but there's, like, lightning, like, mm. shown on it. It's really interesting. Um, That's cool. Cool special effect here. But, mm. yeah, I really liked that. But they're just hanging out, having dinner, drinking some
3: wine. Getting yeah. smammered. Yep. Yeah.
1: Premieres is recounting his, like, past adventures. Which yeah. I thought was good. He's, he's being charming, as usual. And enter the again. Yep. So I guess he kind of gets the buzz and somebody on like Facebook or SoundCloud or Twitter mentioned this to us that the original cut of the movie did not have a buzz sound at all Mm -hmm. that the camera would just zoom in and the director's cut they added that sound effect to make it congruous with the, the TV show. So that was interesting. So I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, Hmm. That makes sense, though. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. So he gets the buzz, and then the Kurgan busts through the door.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. Also, he looks, this is the first time we really get a good look at him, not in his skull helm. Yeah. And he kind of still looks like a punk rock guy in the past. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. He has,
2: like, weird, like, fur fringes or something, and it's like a sleeveless armor. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because like, you don't have to protect your arms for yeah, some reason. Nope.
2: Well, he, but he bursts through and like leaps into the room and chops a table in half.
3: Right, bust up in the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this was Clancy Brown's first day of filming, apparently.
2: Oh, I think I read
1: this. Uh, and yeah. And he was super nervous about doing this scene, so he busts in and instead of chopping the table in half, like he swung the sword the other way and like hit the chandelier. He almost hit Connor in the face. Uh, Apparently, Connery, like, stormed off the set. He was so pissed because he almost got hurt. Uh, Clancy Brown apparently felt very bad and, like, apologized profusely. He was like, I was super nervous. And they got on with the the shoot. But interesting tidbit.
3: Kurgan hates that table.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He's probably just angry he wasn't invited to dinner, honestly. This scene's awesome. It's good. They start fighting. Connery gets an awesome slash on the Kurgan's neck.
1: Like,
3: beat one of this fight. (laughs) Like, he cuts
2: the
1: table in half and then
3: yeah just gets nailed yeah and
1: heather's in the corner like screaming yeah uh, and the camera's like kind of flying all over the place this Mm -hmm. reminded me very much of like sam raimi uh like the shooting style yeah the camera was like i don't know there's a lot of like low camera stuff like riding along the floor zooming up to people yeah it felt like the evil dead or something
2: and then connor was like oh my cut
3: has improved your voice which i thought was pretty funny yeah um two things about this segment so one we often kind of wonder what the rule like the um, immortality power rules are in terms of healing so this introduces two items that we see very clearly in this fight one they're way more like superheroes in this than Mm -hmm. they are in the show like the healing in the show seems to be relatively slow it's not instantaneous, certainly.
1: And you can Here, die in the show. Like, people die and are reborn, essentially. They can be out of commission for a little bit.
3: Right. Whereas in this, it seems like anything that doesn't remove your head, you almost instantly recover from. Because mm-hmm. despite having his, co- his throat brutally cut and like later being stabbed through the stomach, the Kurgan is a-okay. Like, right. yeah. he is fine. At one point, he takes, like, a multi-story fall and just gets back up. <laughs> right. Instantly. Yeah. So that's one side of this thing. The other side, though, is he is left with this massive scar across his throat that evidently permanently affects his voice. hmm Yeah. So what other wounds does he carry? Like, what? How? Other, how else do persistent injuries go on? Like, when Ramirez stabs him through the stomach, does he just permanently have, like, a giant <laughs> scar there? Or, like... Are his intestines permanently ruptured? (laughs) Like, what's the, like, what are the results of of this kind of injury?
2: In the script, Connors. Nude body because later he takes his shirt off is uh, supposed to be riddled with scars mm. and it's not
1: in the movie. So who
2: knows? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's all a, a
3: question mark. It's really yeah. cool the way it's they cool. do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
1: again, I think this is one of those like style over substance things. Like because the visual imagery you get later of the Kurgan with the scar on his neck and he puts safety pins in it. It's yeah, like, and he has this crazy voice. It's like. That to me, I think is worth a leap in any sort of logic in this. It's like whatever. Like you yeah. get that image, that's pretty awesome. Like so, I'm cool with forgiving it for whatever other problems sure. this brings
2: up. <laughs> Here's a question: Is this voice different in the beginning of the movie and later? Because I didn't notice a difference.
1: I couldn't really tell that much either. Uh, I also don't think you get to hear him talk enough to really notice a like difference. Because he cause,
2: says one line Yeah, because is like, no, oh, it's improved your voice.
1: And it's like, wait, yeah. what What did he say before? Because like, he comes out screaming anyway. He's like, I'm yeah. here for you.
2: Well, before he said, you know, we had a deal and there can be only one and another time. So he does have
3: some dialogue.
1: I didn't notice a difference, but.
3: I, th- I do think his voice is less gravelly before this sequence. But Probably. It's, like, like, it's hard to tell.
1: Yeah. It's such like a powerful, deep voice in the first
3: place. So. Yeah. Just in saying more about how kind of uh, bizarre this structure is, they do fight their way up the stairs, revealing no other rooms, and this house... Is either these are like, this is like the battle of the tough guys, or uh, or this castle is made of foil. Because they literally destroy this rock castle by hitting it with right. swords.
2: Well, I think it's supposed to be the whole magic like thing we were talking about earlier. Because there's also a storm happening when they're fighting. And right. they're like fighting up the steps and lightning striking the castle. And the, their swords, like you said, are like making rocks explode off right. the side. And like... <laughs> Lightly fall down the steps, like you can tell they're styrofoam, but right. it's still pretty cool. And like they, they cut like big holes open in the castle, and you can see the storm outside. It's, it's really dramatic and, yeah. and
1: awesome. I like the way this is staged, also, because this is all on a set. Right. Uh, unlike m- most of the other scenes in this this movie. Um, but, like, the set is kind of chintzy. Uh, but I think that's really great in this scene. Like, this yeah. feels like this G- Germanic, like, opera. Like, this is like we're watching, like, Wagner or something. Yeah. Uh, like And I think it's added to the fact because it's, like, it looks like a backdrop. And it looks right. like a set. And then there's two people, like, swashbuckling up the stairs. And it's, like, and the music is really, like, over the top. Like, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like something you'd see in, like, an old movie or something. Yeah. Um, or an opera. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a really fun setting for this this fight.
2: So they, they go up and up and up to a stairway to heaven. A stairway that like <laughs> doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah. And uh, the Kurgan... Well, Ramirez gets a stab in through the Kurgan's gut. But after that, the Kurgan kind
1: of gets the upper hand. He says some really creepy stuff. He's going to kill Ramirez. And he's like, oh, your woman, like she'll be mine. It's like, gross, man. Like, yeah, it's very gross. rapey yeah literally yeah literally raping.
2: and showing connery spits in the kurgan's face
1: yep and then that's the end of Connor. he gets his head lopped off yep uh, but this quickening is different than the first quickening we've seen like i noticed that like Connor and the kurgan have different quickening styles it would seem hmm. Connor got like lifted off the ground and he's yelling a lot and there's all this lightning like the, the kurgans is different he like just closes his eyes and like shakes a bunch
3: well does he, he get struck by lightning a bunch of times Oh, maybe he does get struck yeah. by
1: lightning here. But yeah, I, felt,
3: th- I still feel like they're different. This looks more akin to what happens in the show, where you just kind of, like, stand there and are getting bombarded with electricity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, for some reason, I guess, played for laughs, then the stairwell falls out from under him, and he just falls. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what that's about. And I guess it's all for the, the shock at the end where his
1: hand grabs Heather's neck, and he's like, hello, pretty.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, but we already know. We've already seen him take essentially an identical fall in this scene. Yeah. We know he's fine. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this week's Highlander rewatch. Make sure you chime in next week to get more great Highlander tidbits and more hard hitting analysis. Hard hitting is- indeed. I'm one of your rewatchers, Kyle. I'm Keith. This is Eamon. Bye bye. See you next time. Bye. Another time. Cloud. Cloud. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Field, are you cruising for a piece of lasagna? I hate Mondays.